Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A show, our very first of 2023, brought to us, thankfully, once again, for many, many years now, fine folks at Cooper Tires, who power Anderson Promotions, the USF Championships, the top junior open wheel championship in the world. Also, our great, great pals at the Justice Brothers Makers of Automotive Chemicals and Lubricants, and finally, TorontoMotorsports.com. Pay a visit to their site. Awesome motor racing memorabilia. So, hey, it is 9.30-ish Pacific on a Friday morning. About an hour from now, should have confirmation, a somewhat long-awaited confirmation of things known about for a little while at AJ Foyt Racing, significant alterations within its personnel. Uh, first would say, would go to Craig Brooks, who is their new team manager. Uh, they sought someone new to replace our pal Scott Harner, moved to the team years ago, back in the Tony Kanon, Mateus Laced era, leaving from a long tenure at Ganassi. Harner went to Foyt, was their VP of operations. Scotty left pretty much right after the season finale in September, and so they looked for someone to replace Scott and Craig Brooks, who has a long history on the series side with an Indy Lights. He has come over to be their new team manager. We'll look after AJ Foyt Racing's Indianapolis shop and also its Waller, Texas shop, knowing that they split their entries, their two-car entry, one for Santino Ferrucci, the other for rookie Benjamin Peterson, continue to run out of two separate shops splitting those cars. So Craig looking after the entire operation there from a team management standpoint. Other announcement here, known about this for a while, uh, our friend Michael Cannon, one of my oldest friends, he is joining as race engineer for Santino Ferrucci in the number 14 Chevrolet, and also they're calling him their engineering leader, might also refer to him as technical director, person who oversees the entire engineering department and what they do, what they try and achieve, what they try and come up with. Uh, that would be our man, Michael Cannon. The Foyt team's been pursuing Cannon for a while now. They have known and expected to have Ferrucci for a good while. Ended up confirming him a couple of months ago, however long ago that was, but they were leaning towards Santino for quite some time and were definitely trying to see if Michael would like to return to engineer Santino, who he did look after when the two of them were at Dale Coyne racing a couple of years ago. So have a reunion of sorts between Cannon and Ferrucci. Michael left the Ganassi team where he won the 2020 championship with Scott Dixon. Michael left Ganassi. I don't remember the exact date, but middle or so of November, latter portion of November. That was all kept quiet. And yeah, uh, his final destination here at Foyt, I know that's been mentioned on Twitter by some folks and whatnot. All good. Sometimes uh, I opt to not uh, mention some of those things just out of uh, deference to relationships. So here we have coming up uh, by the time you're listening to this, should already be out or will already be out. Uh, so some pretty interesting developments at Foyt. All it can do is help. And I'm not saying the folks who are no longer there uh, had any responsibility for the team running as poorly as it has, uh, at least in 2022. Also, yeah, pretty decent in 21 with our man Sebastian Bourdais there, but uh, Mike Colliver, someone else, he has engineered that number 14 car the last couple of years. Mike's been looking to take a step back here for a couple of years. Real veteran there, high-quality veteran who's just been wanting to not travel so much, maybe do engineering in some other series. Still need to get the full picture from Mike on what he's going to be doing going forward and whether he might still come back and help the Foyts with some engineering stuff, maybe on the ovals, maybe at the 500, who knows. But... Um, this is a team that is in a constant state of rebuilding, a constant state of change with drivers. Can say that 
about its sponsorship as well the last couple of years. I mean, they had great stability with ABC Supply as their primary for something like 15 years, but obviously they went away, gone through a number of drivers, number of sponsors. Looks like they finally have a solid base they can work from here for many years to come. Uh, Benjamin Peterson signed multi-year deal. Uh, they have a great support package that comes with them. So I know that there's financial stability there also allows the Foyt team to do uh, some hiring like we've just discussed. And I think they also said they added something like six mechanics to the program. So positive growth, positive growth, not just kind of maintaining status quo. Canon certainly an exceptionally talented race engineer one who is very, very adept. This is a particular skill that Canon has at working with young drivers and getting a ton out of young drivers. Race engineers, every one of them's different, have different skills. One of Canon's is connecting with newcomers to IndyCar. Record certainly bears that out. Also not bad with the veterans, looking back to that championship with Dixon in their first year working together, but love the move for Foyt with getting a hold of Cannon. Would also say here to close, as we jump into your questions in just a second, this is not a magic, magic potion, a magic signing, whether it's Brooks, whether it's Cannon, any of the other newcomers there. This is not a team that is going to be jumping from... Uh, the back of the grid towards the front of the grid. So uh, certainly great potential here and we'll look for and hope for much more positive things to say about the team in terms of their results. Once we get into the new season here, kicking off the beginning of March at St. Petersburg. All right. With that said, let's do a little uh, music bed recording this in the office so i don't really have the pew, 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 pew sound effect uh at hand but let's get into your questions here and thanks for sending them in as always greatly appreciate y'all this show is truly powered by you your questions your thoughts your opinions you make this show every week hope we all have an amazing year ahead of us in indycar and also if you want to join a family if you want to join i think last count we're in the hundreds of folks who are participating in the Prue Day Listener Group, a self-formed group around the podcast here. I think a pretty heavy slant towards IndyCar. Send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S. Prudayrocks at gmail.com. One of the leaders there will uh, respond in a couple days and welcome you in to the daily chats, private chats, right? This is, I think, done through Discord. Uh, private chats, just about life, racing, the universe, whatever. Some pretty awesome friendships have come from this, real close friendships. Uh, so that's something you're looking for. Just like to talk about racing in a non-toxic environment. Send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, and they will welcome you in. All right, let's get going. Steve Grinstead and Doug Holtzman are going to open the show here with a couple of uh, nice little items. Steve says, not racing related, but just hoping you and your wife, Shabrell, and your cats are high and dry with all the weather you've had out there. Uh, stay safe. Absolutely, Steve. We're fortunate to live in a pocket in the Bay Area where we certainly get the rain and the wind and all that stuff, but the really punishing, punishing, knocking down trees and flooding and all that, we're fortunate to live in an area where that's really, really uncommon. Uh, Doug Holtzman also, you mentioned, hey, based on the recent moods, of the IndyCar podcast here is it time to dust off the old everything is awesome shirt it's funny Doug I've been thinking about that same thing was it back in like 2015 I think it was maybe after Fontana a lot of IndyCar drivers were super outspoken might have been another race I could be forgetting the exact one but a lot of IndyCar drivers were very vocal about IndyCar's terrible handling of things and uh, at the time IndyCar CEO Mark Miles mentioned something about, not I don't know if it's a gag order, but just some sort of like, hey, there could be restrictions on what drivers can say. And that led to a kind of 
through gritted teeth. Everything is awesome. Uh, response. And we think racer had some t-shirts made, uh, at the time. And yeah, I've been thinking we might need to dust some of those off, Doug, if we keep going in the direction where, uh, Indy cars just taking L after L after L. And I also made a decision here heading into the end of the year, coming into the new year that, it's not like my frustrations go away. It's disappointments. I think I might care about IndyCar a little bit too much, but it's not like all those things just magically disappear. But I also just came to the realization that the current owners definitely not one that take any real feedback or input and nor do they have any interest in receiving it. So you're going to write an opinion column that says hey this thing is broken and needs fixing or this is a bad thing or you do that on a podcast in a video whatever you do that because if it's an authentic realization or feeling that's part of the job but you also do that with the hope that it will have an effect actually lead to an improving of something realize that that's really not possible right now and who knows how long that might be. That might be months or years or in perpetuity. Current ownership doesn't want to hear it, doesn't care what you have to say, not going to change anything about what they do. So, like I said, not as if my frustrations are disappearing, but just got tired of being pissed and depressed and sad. And so going to do my best to lean in all the way to my glass half full view of life, even with IndyCar. And unless it's something new or super warranted, yeah, I'm just not going to try and do things through gritted teeth anymore and just going to move on and try and highlight whatever things interest me or I might consider to be positive. Uh, let's get into the IndyCar stuff here specifically and topically. Tim Hubble, you say, so can Fernando Alonso drive for Andretti now? Asking for a Honda friend. Um, I hope so. <laughs> uh, I mean, maybe, although he's currently signed up to drive in Formula One, so I don't think he really wants to do that. Um, we'll see. Uh, would Andretti extend that offer if and when the Andretti Cadillac Formula One thing happens? How old would Fernando be? Uh, would he still want to do that knowing it would be a startup? startups rarely bother the front of the grid much less the middle of the grid uh i'm not totally sure that might not be a total indycar question I'm not totally sure tim uh but i appreciate you opening the show here uh zach dean we're staying on this andretti theme for just a little bit zach you say hey mp do you know if colton herta would go with andretti to formula one uh yes 100 percent. as i believe his contract reflects this new contract pays him a rumored nine, seven to nine million a year. Uh, that was not done just for IndyCar because if it was just for IndyCar, then he would have been paid about 250 to 300% the going rate for a top IndyCar driver. Uh, that new contract with its exceptional value, certainly done with Formula One as a future goal was also done somewhat recently recent months and so this would also be the time frame zach where michael andretti and general motors were talking about linking up and trying to go formula one racing together so all of these things are interconnected uh for sure and i don't know the specifics of his contract but as i have heard it binds him to indycar for the next year or two we think about the timing of when we might see new formula one teams allowed in certainly not going to be 2024 <clears throat> from what i'm told but i think we might be staring at something more like 2026 uh that would align again 2025 2026 that would align with what i've heard about when colton might be able to go f1 with andretti and or someone else who knows but yeah, this is all with Colton uh, in mind. So not sure who the second driver would be. Still have to go from it being an idea and an expression of interest. Um, 
hopefully it becomes real. And if it does, then we can start talking about things that are real. Um, you also close here by saying, I love the podcast where you called on more creativity and engine specs like you have an IMSA. So given IMSA's success with the GTP cars, I couldn't agree more. Keep it up. Thank you, sir. I will keep it up. Uh, let's see. Andrew Miller, you say, another slow news week. Uh-huh. Um, say, by my look at the points table, Colton Herta must win the championship to be safely uh, in hold of super license for a theoretical debut season with the Andretti Cadillac program in the near future. So as a second in the 2023 championship leaves him one point short. No pressure at all. You say, is it time for the uh, super hyper-focused guy we saw at the end of 2021 to reemerge? Should be fun. I don't think Colton lacked focus in particular last season, Andrew. I would just say that from an engineering standpoint, the Andretti team took a step back, a significant step back. I know they closed the season, 17 race championship with two wins, one by Colton, one by Alexander Rossi. For the most part, though, they were not a team that bothered the front of the results for decent chunks of the year. Colton, of course, still quick. Talk about some pole positions and whatnot. But again, this was not Colton so much taking a step back would say the team in general is one that took a step back. But at least we know now, we can say for sure, with his future secured, multi-year, new multi-year deal, there should be no reason for any distractions. Whatever there might have been this past season, if that took him off his game at all, which I asked him multiple times about that, have it, is it, be it, do it, is there anything leading you to not be that laser-focused guy. He said no every time. We at least can say, Andrew, that going into 23 here, I can think of nothing that would have his mind wandering or his focus uh, going elsewhere. So on that, provided the Andretti team has found whatever it might have been missing last year on the engineering front, He should be able to get back to winning multiple races and being a regular presence at or around or on the top step of the podium and vying for a title. It's for where that places him in this super license hunt. I appreciate you doing the math. Uh, It hurts my head. And since I don't cover Formula One, uh, trying to keep track, the uh, Colton Herta super license tracker.com site. That certainly needs to exist. Uh, Something that gets updated after every IndyCar race um, where he finished and championship position and some sort of tracker that is at least pointing to where he might finish and what amount of super license points that correspond to and whether that gets him over the threshold or not. So a little job for you there, Andrew. I look forward to uh, hearing a report back of when uh, the Colton Herta superlicensetracker.com site goes live. Let's jump to Dan Werderich. Robbie Bergerin, you also asked a similar question here. General Vein is, does it seem like Andretti may be overextending themselves? A four-car IndyCar team, two cars in IMSA, Formula One. We're also not including Australian supercars and Extreme E. Uh, and what, the Super Copa something or other that they do with uh, Michel Jourdain. So, and I might even still be forgetting stuff. Well, Indy Lights, obviously, four-car Indy Lights slash Indy NXT. And yes, I'll probably going to call it Indy Lights forever because that's what I've called it for 30-something years. Um, oh, yeah, they, they got lots. Um, you also say accounting for the struggles they've had the last couple of years in IndyCar. Is this too much too fast? Or with that new facility they have coming, will they take a, a big step suddenly? That big facility due to go live in 2025. So that's definitely not a, uh, not a real thing there. Um, let's see. 
I don't think so. And the reason being here, Dan, is to my knowledge, everything that I'm a, I know of with this does not involve repurposing or, or double purposing. Is that even a phrase? I don't know. Um, this involves hiring new people to do new things. Formula One is what I'm specifically referring to. On the new IMSA relationship with Wayne Taylor Racing, Wayne Taylor Racing is running that program 100% as they have, uh, and that's going to continue through this year in that same WTR doing it all themselves. I'm not saying there won't be some Andretti presence, but it's not like there's a new race engineer, new drivers, new people in charge or whatever else. This is the Andretti Autosport name being added to Wayne Taylor Racing. I don't know the percentage that they've bought into this, Dan, uh, to the Taylor team, 50%, 75%, 100 I don't know. They're not speaking on that right now. But this is, at least in 23, a renaming of the team with no other operational changes. Would expect that to evolve uh, once we start getting towards the end of 2023 and this becoming something where the Andretti folks are more centrally involved, uh, but not now. So if we're just looking at what is happening here on January 6th, 2023, there's not a lot that I can see that would overextend the folks who make the IndyCar team succeed. Um, they did not fail to win lots and lots of races and vie for a championship last year because Michael Andretti was working on a bunch of deals. Michael is not the guy engineering the cars, doing the R&D engineering side as well. Um, if we're talking about what they need to succeed in IndyCar, it's going to be a stronger four-driver roster. They don't necessarily have that going into 2023 uh, i'd say there's also the potential need for some freshening on the engineering side so the key items that are needed to get better i can't see any real linkage dan that says the growth and the aligning with this team and trying to build out an f1 program and all those things i can't really find the linkage to say aha well these are areas of stress or diminishing that are taking away from its core IndyCar program. Uh, would say this has the potential for being a lean year in IndyCar. Obviously, hope them uh, and every other team has a great year. Just looking at what it is, you have one winner among its four drivers, that being Colton Herta. Um, it's the first time in kind of sort of forever they've gone into a new season where of their traditional four car operation only one driver has won a race first time in forever where they have a driver roster where zero <laughs> of their drivers zero have indycar championships or 8500 wins uh, you have a rookie in kyle kirkwood who we hope is going to have a much better sophomore year than he did as a rookie. It was wavering enough, though, as a rookie to where I am not ready to make any proclamations that he's going to tear things up in a positive way and charge towards the front of the grid. Devlin DeFrancesco had a improving rookie season, became far more solid in the second half of the year, I don't know if he's destined for running in the top 10 quite yet, but uh, a improved Devlin DeFrancesco year two, I expect that. But if you think about all the opposition being faced from Ganassi, Errol McLaren, Penske, and so on, there's a lot of big names to get through. So I don't quite see that yet for Devlin on any kind of routine basis. And then we have the biggest mystery of 2022, that being our pan Pan, sure. Our pal Romain Groschamp, who for the most part was missing in action. Will that change? Don't know. Um, 
never had this many question marks, Dan. So would say that attempting to grow and do all these big things, I think I also forgot the Andretti Formula E team too. Um, this really comes down to engineering and decisions made on engineering on the IndyCar side, plus a bit of driving pedigree, IndyCar pedigree, right? What's been achieved in IndyCar by its four drivers. Um, if we're talking about them having a potentially not amazing 2023, it will be super easy to say, up. Oh, it's all the other stuff causing distractions and taking them off their game those assertions would be false uh john sable how you doing john been a little while uh, you say what's the dynamic of indycar teams and all the manufacturers they partner with across different series say penske ganassi now andretti partnering up with competing brands under one roof is that just part of doing business these days manufacturers don't mind well i'd say if you have honda powered team in indycar that you work with right honda's your your brand and honda slash acura is playing in another series where you want to participate you'd think there would be some linkage there hey could we run an acura in imsa gtp possible keep in mind that if there are existing relationships in place if there's also a limited willingness like we have right now, John, for Acura to do more than two entries in 2023, it's going to make a team look elsewhere. One of its IndyCar teams look elsewhere. Uh, if we think about the Chip Ganassi racing program, obviously representing Honda and IndyCar not so long ago, what, through the 2019 season, representing Ford in IMSA in the WEC, that program closed. Acura had its bases covered in IMSA. There's really nothing there to develop on the fully funded manufacturer DPI side. Cadillac, though, is looking to do something wasn't too long before a link between Ganassi and Cadillac slash GM came together. So no real opportunity for Ganassi for what they needed, right? They're not a team that pays to race. They are paid to race. No real manufacturer funded deals that I know of, at least from Acura being offered to Ganassi. If there were uh, maybe for whatever reason, that didn't happen, but they ended up going with the one that said, hey, we want to partner with you, that being GM slash Cadillac, and this is a big new deal. And the one that really jumps out, if we're talking about differences, is Team Penske, right? Roger Penske, co-founder, and I think full funder, getting Ilmore off the ground, makers, builders of Chevrolet's IndyCar engines, just one... The IndyCar Championship with Will Power using Chevrolet Power also won the NASCAR Cup Championship with Joey Logano in a Ford. <laughs> so if you want to talk about real uh, differences, competing brands, you've got Roger representing the Blue Oval and the Bowtie at the same time in different series. Then you move over to IMSA and representing Porsche. So... It is, as you mentioned, just part of doing business these days. If there's a way, as Ganassi once had, representing Chevy in NASCAR Cup and in IndyCar before they returned to Honda, you know, it's great when you have that synergy or whatever word we should use, but it is truly just part of doing business these days. Uh, Jim Meyer, Mike Shank, they're one of the alignments that make sense right so we have them aligned with honda and indycar and their factory team in imsa now with andretti buying into wayne taylor we can say that's the same thing there obviously honda and indycar acura and imsa 
now there's possibility of Andretti and Cadillac slash GM doing something in F1. I know some folks have said, well, why not go after Honda? If you know your F1, you know that Honda has, quote, withdrawn, but is still involved, potentially coming back. A little bit of state of flux, right? Not exactly 100% in and therefore able for Andretti to go and say, let's do this right now or let's do this here in the future. Final component here, which maybe is not getting recognized enough, this does give Andretti the potential for an all-American entry using GM slash Cadillac branded power in F1. So you look for the alignment you can get. Uh, if you can have a linear alignment where it's one brand, one manufacturer across all your programs, that's great. But as you point out here, uh, it's pretty rare when that happens. Let's go next to our pal at Dorkabetic. There we go. Asks, when are announcements coming regarding unclaimed driver slots? Any good leads on who to expect? I've got to admit, I don't remember everything I mentioned and when I mention it, uh, or if I've mentioned everything. So let me run through the three slots left to fill. We have the Ganassi Oval side of the number 11 Honda Marcus Armstrong set for the road and street courses. I think I've written, mentioned, I don't remember what, that Takuma Sato has been uh, the leading candidate there for a little while. Thought that was going to maybe get done maybe a month ago, and then it didn't. And then, again, haven't gotten any formal or uh, hardcore confirmation on what it is or isn't going on there, but have heard very, very recently that uh, it could be headed towards a positive conclusion. Again, I do understand nothing is done, but uh, I'd be very surprised if Takuma Sato is not confirmed as the oval driver in that number 11 Ganassi entry. On the Dale Coin racing side, we just had Stingray Rob test with them, very positive test. Stingray has been speaking with both Dale Coin Racing for that number 51 Honda and Hunkos Hollinger Racing about their number 78 Chevy. Had heard a couple weeks ago, whenever it was that I uh, wrote the story, that Stingray kept hearing he was leaning towards the Hunkos Hollinger side. Then here, I think just this week, have heard Augustine Canapino, who's mentioned, I think, in a Silly Season story I did, I don't know, November, whenever it was, December, that he was understood to be close-ish, very possible for that second Hunkos Hollinger seat, that that had gone away had heard that Stingray was probably going to be the guy. Just heard this week that indeed we could have a uh, situation where there's no real option for Stingray to be at Hunkos Hollinger and that indeed Canapino could be confirmed in that seat here before long. Don't take that as a fact because, again, these things seem to uh, fluctuate consistently, but... If that is what ends up happening, um, the door may be closed or closed-ish for our pal Stingray to return to Hunkos Hollinger Racing. Might mean that there is really and truly only one place for him if he wants to be on the grid, that being Dale Coin Racing. So, uh, don't know if any of those things are real great shocks, but yeah, uh, Sato Ganassi... Really do expect to hear that confirmed soon. The Canapino side, maybe a little bit more of a question mark than I would hope, but uh, think that could be where that heads. Um, I know there's been questions as for whether the second Hunkos Hollinger car will actually happen. Uh, continue to hear that it will. And then if we were to hear Stingray confirmed at coin, that also might not be a total shocker. Uh, all right, Maddie McDonald, you say, per your instructions, I'm sending this back in. Uh, what was your favorite beer of 2022? Uh, hope you had a wonderful holiday and much love to you and Chabrell and the cats. Thank you for that, Maddie. I'm having to grab my phone 
and look for a photo. I've forgotten the name, but uh, my favorite beer of the year came courtesy of the amazing Steve Bonek, who I got to meet at Road America, and he left me with just huh, uh, divine beers, truly divine beers. And so was able to share with uh, my friend John Ewart, who's the head of communications there at Road America, uh, Wizard Burial Ground. Um, I I cannot describe how life changing that beer was. Um, apparently, they only brew it once a year. Very limited period of time that they brew it as well then make it available for sale. Steve sent me a note saying he was able to grab some more. So uh, I then went online. This was a couple months ago to see if they had any left. They didn't. Uh, So I feel, Maddie, like a bit of a addict here where I cannot wait to get to Road America again. Of course, it's one of my top two or three favorite racetracks in the world. So that's always the case. But because Steve, a bit like a dealer, I know says that he has at least one more wizard burial ground beer waiting for me. I I don't even know how to describe the taste. Um, I'll just go with, with life altering. So yeah, uh, Steve, what are you doing to me, man? Um, Kurt Pose. How you doing, Kurt? You say, what does a driver development plan entail for the driver and team? You say Kiffin Simpson was the first in a while. Uh, and then we had Josh Pearson pop up here, uh, who now has a deal all the way to 2025, referring to Kiffin, who was signed last year as a Chip Ganassi Racing Development driver, and then Josh Pearson announced as a development driver under the wing of Ed Carpenter Racing. Kurt then closes by saying, should we expect this to be the graduation path uh, now that the Open Wheel Scholarship has been neutered, that being an Indy NXT? Uh I think it'd be great if we saw this happen on a more frequent basis, Kurt, and I've always hoped this would become a more prevalent thing. If you can align yourself with an IndyCar team and learn ahead of time, I mean, that would be a pretty smart, smart thing. We saw this happen with Benjamin Peterson this past year with uh, AJ Foyt Racing on the timing stands there at many, if not all the races, learning. Uh, ended up being with Foyt. Again, not a surprise there. A couple years ago, we had it with Renus VK, who was on the Ed Carpenter Racing timing stand, not for the whole season in his last season of Indy Lights, but uh, there for a little bit. Ended up going with Ed Carpenter Racing as well. With Kiffin and Josh in particular, there is a little bit of a unique dynamic, Kurt, and that being family wealth. Like... <laughs> we're talking a lot of zeros like whoa type zeros that's not a bad thing right i mean don't we all kind of wish our parents had bazillions in these two very fortunate whether it is long-standing family wealth or you know success of a uh, a parent in business uh in you know the last 10 20 years whatever it is these two are very fortunate and unique in that capacity where they have the funding to offer a team like a Ganassi, like a carpenter to say, hi, we don't just want a little bit of an alignment where you maybe let us listen in on the headsets and hear the discourse between driver and engineer and kind of pick up that language. And that'll help a little bit when uh, I get to IndyCar, but real like true embedding uh, in the program uh, in Kiffin's, case this is a situation where chip ganassi racing has effectively become his uh coach career manager uh placer of him into multiple championships he's going to be doing a lot of sports car racing this year to gain mileage in all kinds of places along with a full season with hmd motorsports in any indy nxt josh going to nxt as well um with Kiffin, we have someone who, with the uh, alignment with Ganassi, they've basically taken over his career and his career path. And that's a great and amazing thing. 
just not something that every kid and their parents can afford. So as for what it entails, the sitting in, listening in, learning, it's a big part. It's a glorified version of take your kid to work day, but a lot of days across a lot of races. It's sitting in on engineering meetings. It's whether it's media training, whether it is fitness programs, whether it is simulator time, basically hiring a team to be your personal life slash career coach and leading you through every step upwards, just like you would uh, in school going from grade to grade, taking you along the way to the point of graduation, making you the readiest driver possible, hopefully ready to succeed as soon as you come into IndyCar as a rookie. Kiffin going to become a Ganassi IndyCar driver in 2024? I don't know. Would I think that might be a plan? Possibly. They're not saying exactly, but I think his demonstration of readiness is what's really going to dictate the when. I would not see Ganassi putting him in any car as a rookie if they felt he wasn't ready. Uh, he's just turned 18 in October. I mean, this kid was just 17 years old, so there's time. He also is a little bit late to racing age-wise, so again, 2024 feels like it might be a little bit of a rush, but if Kiffin is not racing for Ganassi in IndyCar by 2025, I'd be surprised. Josh, been very active, done well on the uh, in the USF Championships previously, uh, returning Indy Lights here, or I shouldn't say returning, but returning to the uh, Junior Open Wheel Ladder, uh, going to NXT, uh, has also done quite a bit of sports car racing, he has far more mileage than Kiffin. We'll see what kind of speed he has. He definitely has speed. Is it holy cow speed? Don't know, right? Still young, still developing, but you know, I would say getting him to IndyCar by 25, that sounds about right in terms of just development. So this is really uh, in these, these bigger, more in-depth plans, Kurt, effectively taking over a kid's career and dictating all that they need to do to make them the readiest drivers possible. Uh, Ian Keyworth, hey, MP, Happy New Year. Well, Happy New Year right back at you, Ian. Says, How come Errol McLaren appear to be dropping the SP? Uh, is this to become further removed from spam? Uh, no, I'd like to say that our podcast uh, led them in this direction, but no. Um, this had been in the works. I mean, I first heard about this maybe a year ago that they were going to do one more year with the SP and then just shorten to Aaron McLaren would say with McLaren having a majority ownership, uh, not a surprise that this is the direction that it went. Sam Schmidt, Rick Peterson still involved. No changes there. Um, are they as day to day as they might've once been? Keep in mind that Rick owns a very successful, uh, trucking and transportation business. So it's not like he's at the, indie shop there every day didn't mean to suggest that sam has some developing businesses as well i don't know how plugged in they are in terms of what they might have been prior to the mclaren buy-in but still they're still involved still part of the board major decision making and such just think this is a more accurate reflection ian of what the team is today than what it was a few years ago um, when the Schmidt and the Peterson really were the two biggest uh, decision makers, obviously the uh, the shared owners of the team. But, yeah, I think this is accurate, an accurate reflection. So I don't really have anything that stood out as negative about this. Uh, Leroy Clamola. I think this might be your first submission, Leroy, and if it isn't, I apologize. But if it is, thank you. Say, which rookie are you most excited for this year, whether it be an Indy NXT or IndyCar itself? Oh, if we're going, uh, if we're going overarching here, it would absolutely be Jamie Chadwick in NXT. 
I don't expect her to have an amazing season. All new tracks, new car, new team, new engineer, new everything. She's not going to come out of the gates and dominate. Hoping they have her on a definite return in 2024. That's where my biggest expectations for her would be placed, but I can't wait to see her and how she uh, she does in the kind of impression that she shares. Um, we're talking IndyCar. Realize we're still waiting for some things to be confirmed, but we don't have a real deep rookie class at the moment. Obviously, if Canapino gets confirmed, that'd be great. Stingray Rob, and look, Stingray's going to IndyCar. That's not a question to me. Just wait till we get a confirmation of exactly with who and how. But uh, Stingray, Benjamin Peterson, and Marcus Armstrong. Um, Seen Benjamin, I think he's got great potential. Take a couple more years to develop that. Uh, Stingray, similar boat. Marcus Armstrong is the one I'm looking forward to just because I haven't seen him race. So uh, that's where uh, at least my little brain is focused on who might be doing cool stuff this coming season. So um, where else should we go from here? Where else shall we go from here? Um, Why don't we jump to a little bit of a rant uh dan werderich you're back again kevin frederico similar thing to share dan uh this is i guess your second try so a little bit of a rant and off we go so with everything going on in the racing world i'm having a hard time being positive about indycar having been to the speedway a few times since rp and company took over i haven't really seen any of the advancements the crew have spoken about painted the bathrooms moved a couple of video boards but I haven't seen any of these significant improvements they speak of. You mentioned in the last episode about the multiple changes IMSA have made, and I sit in awe of how they planned and stuck to it despite increasing costs. Am I missing something? Is there trouble brewing for my beloved IndyCar series? Is there a possibility the series is abandoned uh, to save the Indy 500? Probably overthinking this, but I tend to be a more negative individual. Uh, not proud of this, just being honest. I mean, at least for my first time back at the speedway in a couple years uh in may it definitely looked nicer and cleaner and more organized than i had seen it i don't know if i expected any giant transformations nor have i heard about any of that i mean they have done some construction there they have replaced a couple of things but uh, i just look at it as more of improvements compared to overhaul so maybe just a resetting of expectations on that end dan as for the series they're in a state of flux uh they've got this air quote new formula coming on the engine side in 2024 taking the old engine attaching the new energy recovery system and going hybrid got new fuel that's coming sustainable fuel that's cool beyond that got a lot of big question marks when are they going to go to something truly new on at least the internal combustion engine side? Are they going to do a new car sometime soon that looks different than the one now heading into its, what, third year with the aero screen? Is it third? What, 2020? Uh, fourth year of the aero screen? Um, so, you know, it's now something super familiar to the eye. Uh, the bodywork on the car, the rest of the bodywork, the UAK-18 arrived in 2018. So while I think it looks way better than the old car, the old version of the Delarty W12, that too is just becoming no longer new and exceptional to look at. So you know, just overstating some of the things we know for sure, IndyCar has a lot of decisions to make on what it wants to be. And what they've told us through not only their words, but their actions is in terms of what we look at and see competing on the track. They have no interest or desire in changing any of that anytime soon. The part beneath the body work that makes the car go primarily, that being the internal combustion engine, that's staying the same. There's going to be the new energy recovery system that sits right behind it that even with the body work off 
you can't see because it's buried within the transmission and bell housing area. So the new fuel going into the tank, again, that's going to be great, but not something that changes our visual impression during the broadcast or if you're at the races seeing the cars live. So it's the outward part. That's where renovation, I hope, happens at some point in time. Um, That's where, again, I'm just going to pray and hope that we get that. Beyond that, you know, uh, we're going to go on to the next question uh, and start to ramp down here as we get to the uh, the last of the ones chosen by our friend Jerry Siddeth. And thanks again for uh, doing this for me each week, Jerry. Uh, George O'Donnell says, Marshall, hypothetical question for the offseason. Following up on the recent theme of dissatisfaction with Penske Entertainment, one of the other interested parties in purchasing IMS and IndyCar in 2019 was Liberty Media, owner of Formula One. What do you think a Liberty-owned IndyCar series would look like heading into 2023? Say thanks as always, and all the best to you, your wife, and the cats. Thank you, George. Gotten this question a couple times in the uh, weekly racer mailbag. Don't mind sharing uh, same answer here uh, had liberty media bought indycar in 2019 i don't know if we would have an indycar series in 2023 certainly not with drive to survive taking off what that debuted in 2019 was it um formula one has exploded in popularity globally i would say more than anywhere well let me rephrase that i would say the greatest growth certainly happened here in the good old united states of america its popularity has grown everywhere but it went from being almost nothing here in the states to holy cow rivaling tv ratings if not exceeding indycar's tv ratings uh more and more races being added had they bought it in 2019 i think they would have tried to do really good things with it and then if I were Liberty and I had a formula one property that exploded and has become, I, I, it pains me to say it, but just being honest has become the most popular open wheel racing series consumed in America. Obviously it's only here a couple times a year, but in terms of what is being watched the most it's there. And I think it's just going to, I mean, I know that the, the overall TV rating average was, darn near identical between IndyCar and Formula One in 2022. But I think Formula One's definitely going to surpass that in terms of uh, average viewers per race, etc. cetera, uh, in 23. But if I'm Liberty Media, I am looking at IndyCar as a bit of a liability in 21, 22, and definitely going into 23, because why would I want to have something here in the USA where Formula One's taking off and becoming the number one open wheel racing series and competing against it, potentially taking eyeballs away, taking interest away. So if it worked the way that I would have expected here, George, uh, they'd probably strip mine it. Say, hey, what do you have that's of high value? Well, we got Long Beach. That'd be a great IndyCar stop, um, F1 stop. Indianapolis 500 probably would, I would assume would remain as an annual event as for how many indycar races would go around that i don't know um i would just fear that they would turn it off i always think of this in soda wars coke and pepsi not saying that indycar is as big as pepsi in terms of being a rival to coke but f1's coke they're the global name, the global dominant force when it comes to sodas. Pepsi's been the challenger brand, trying to be as big, gaining ground. Hey, if Coke could buy Pepsi, I mean, you the smart thing to do would be to kill it. <laughs> kill your number one rival and take over that footprint of where they played. So I think we probably wouldn't have much of an IndyCar series left, George, if that had happened. Um, Nifty 52. 
Got a couple questions here about IndyCar's chosen vendor for its uh, video game, asking why did iRacing's Greg West say they're still negotiating with IndyCar? Is the ban on iRacing broadcast on Indy, uh, from IndyCar or iRacing's doing, uh, et cetera, et cetera? I, I don't know. I mean, I this is <laughs> not something that I'm going and actively re- researching the who, what, and why on. It's a done deal. Um, clear exclusivity in this new deal with their new chosen vendor. Uh, at least for what I've read, understand from the iRacing side, they're trying to see what they might still salvage. But iRacing is not part of IndyCar's future in terms of gaming. So... Nobody is happy about this, obviously. Um, you're also asking Roger Penske's famous for treating partners right. Uh, why are they treating their longtime partner iRacing so poorly? Again, they did a deal with someone else. So it's kind of like getting a divorce and then asking why. Well, why aren't you treating your ex-wife with the same amount of love and whatnot? And you go, well, you chose to no longer have that relationship. Um, that's why... There's no real love being given to the ex. Um, And again, I'm not saying I'm happy about this decision. Nobody's happy about this that I know of. Uh, But uh, yeah, this falls into an L. This is just another loss, uh, another bad decision by IndyCar. But um, again, they do as they see fit. And there you go. Uh, Let's see, we've got... Two to go. Jonas Magnussen, MP, please make a bold prediction for the Drivers' Championship in 2023. Who performs significantly better or worse compared to general expectations? <sighs> After a bit of a soft year, this is, I don't know if this is bold. This isn't bold, so I'm failing you already. But after a little bit of a soft season, rallying pretty strong towards the end uh but a bit of a soft season i think scott dixon uh, the potential of scott dixon and his new engineer um that has me excited about what could be a big boost um polo as well you know uh, he had a fairly dismal year definite distractions there Uh, i think he's gonna have a really strong rebound I don't want it to be the case, but I think Marcus Erickson's really impressive year where he led the championship, I think seven out of 17 races or something like that, ended up falling to sixth. I don't know if we're going to see Marcus up front as much as we did. It's obviously on him to prove that he can do that and is capable of being that guy. But uh, we had Marcus as a pretty big championship contender for most of the year. That's maybe one where I I don't know if I see that happening again without another Indy 500 win to uh, give that double points boost. I think the two drivers that stand out most of all for potential jump would be Rossi, right? Uh, Rossi and Craig Hampson, provided they click, that's absolute potential for shock, awe, and devastation. So that's my number one. But I also don't think, honestly, Jonas, that uh, this should be a total surprise. Like Hall of Fame race engineer, team with tons of money and certainly on the rise, new engineering-driven internal structure led by Gavin Ward. We expect Pato Ward to do big things. But I wonder where Rossi's going to fit in. And again, potential-wise, I think that guy could be top three for sure in the standings. Graeme Rahal is the other one that I mentioned where I hope with their new technical director acquisition, I think and hope that will benefit him. He was really good throughout the year. The team was never really threatening for victory, but I think Graham's poised for a, a strong rebound, also a the team has just gotten a bit brighter and warmer, I think, uh, with the departure of 
former president Pierce Phillips. Um, I just see, I see a lot of potential right there. There's some others, and again, I don't think these would be the the shocks. But Renus VK had a good year, but not a great year. Um, I don't know if Ed Carpenter Racing's done enough internally to change things to expect Renus or Connor Daly to jump way forward. But again, we'll have to see there. I think Pagano is maybe another one where depending on what happenings happens on the engineering front, I think he can have a bit of a quote breakout season with Marshank racing. I don't think he, they can afford to have another run to 15th place. That's for sure. Just looking where else we might go. I mean, there's some others where I don't know if they'd be shocks because they showed us their potential like Callum Eilat with Hunko's Hollinger racing. That guy's just stupid. Good. Um, just continuing the trend from his rookie season, uh, I would expect him to be running up front far more often. Uh, I think David Malukas is another one. Granted, no longer has Ross Bunnell as his race engineer, Ross leaving for Ganassi and Dixon, so not totally sure what they're doing on the engineering front. David, we know, that guy can certainly deliver some shock and awe, but can't do it alone. So who's going to be helping from the engineering side? He's won certain potential. Um Maybe Christian Lungard as well. I mean, that kid showed us how good he was. Certainly have high expectations for him. I mean, there's a lot of, hey, you had a decent 2022. You did some things at times that were really impressive, but across the entire season, you ended up sitting 10th, 11th, 12th, 17th, whatever it is. They're thereabouts, but not all the way there. It's a lot of folks, Jonas, in this group where you go, okay, hey, you're poised, hopefully, for something better, but mm, it didn't happen this last season. Are the things corrected that kept you from being all that you could be? So there's a a pretty tight cluster of folks in that group uh, from Ray Hall, VK, Groshaw, Lungard, Pagano, Malukas. Um, Jack Harvey's another one where potentially things should be way better for him if not i don't know if he's going to finish out the season there so there's a lot of question marks with that cluster of driver but the one where i think like okay all sign all signs point towards awesomeness i'd say rossi's the one on top of that list um we're going to close here with chris kowalik <laughs> Kalewick. Sorry, Chris. I think I've been mis- mispronouncing your last name as I stutter uh, for quite a while. It's not Kowalik. It's Kalewick. Ah, all right. Hey, there we go. This is a uh, fellow pro wrestling fan, although more of a uh, AEW person than WWE. What are the wrestling storylines for 2023 in IndyCar? Does Roman Groshaw keep his reign as the top heel? I have a feeling, and this ties into your next question or two, I have a feeling New Garden is going to become the top heel. Uh, there's a level of anger, frustrations bubbling inside of him on the IndyCar results front, coming up short after winning five races last season, more than anybody, and still losing the championship. Uh, there's been a change in race engineers uh, during the off season. Um, I think we are going to see a high strung, not necessarily high strung, like bouncing around, but like ready to snap, like a guitar string wound within a millimeter of breaking. I have a feeling Joseph is going to be in super high strung attack kill you name it mode laugh it off blow it off type guy and whatever i don't know how much of that guy we're gonna see uh it's not like he's old by any means but i would say that with two championships in hand uh having just turned 32 i think he certainly is feeling or seeing that career-wise like look i've been doing this now for about a decade what a little over a decade now in indycar uh, hopefully you can keep doing it for a while longer, but you can't be sacrificing years, uh, getting seconds and thirds, if at all possible. And so I think we're just going to see a holy cow, that guy is intense, 
Joseph Newgarden. So could that make him more of a heel, uh, more of a deal with it type guy? Uh, I think so. Uh, will anyone dethrone the Bus Bros as tag team champions? No, no. That that that's a pretty good pretty good combo there. Um, will anyone or who is the undisputed babyface? Is it Newgarden, Dixon, Award? It ain't Newgarden. Uh, it ain't Dixon. Um, your your pick of awards pretty good, but I'd go with Malukas. I mean, there is no bigger babyface than Malukas. So yeah, yeah, that's him. Uh, and you say hope all is well with your wife and the cats. Thank you, Chris. And uh, I guess I lied. There is one more question here from our Minister of Mirth, Lance Snyder. So here's a fun question: Would you rather drink? 100 thimble-sized glasses of pilk, that being a blend of Pepsi and milk, or one regular-sized glass of pilk. So um, I, I think the 100 thimble size might actually be more than a regular-sized glass. So I'll just go with a regular size and just have a barf bucket nearby because I'm guaranteed to throw up after that. And I can't believe that our friend John Ranjow uh, one of the founding members, if not the founding member of the Pruday, uh, actually did this as a challenge uh, within the Pruday. So uh, I can't believe you drank that stuff, man. Um, you're just silly. Uh, hey, thanks, y'all, for sending everything in. Appreciate you. Got our first episode of the year done. Be back here next week with more. I want to say a big thanks once again to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. I'll speak to you here soon.